Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. So this week, Bobby, Walker's Point, first in Seabuff? Yeah, it's right outside our door here. Yeah, right. right it's basically across the street from 88.9. Mm-hmm. Um, first and like kind of Seabeth? Yeah, yeah, first in Seabeth, which is really close to first in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the current home now of the Zizzo Group. It will be the home of the Zizzo Group. Currently empty. Currently empty, soon yes. to be the Zizzo Group. Um, used to be the Brasslight Gallery and a mm-hmm. high school, so some of the most recent tenants there. But this is a 1866 building, so tons and tons of history yes. there in Walker's Point. Yeah, so this building has been around for almost 160 years, uh, and it started out as a, a liquor wholesaling um, business. And it, that happened there for about 60 years till Prohibition, and then it was a whole host of things that we'll get into in the extended conversation, right? Yeah. But right now, the Zizzo Group bought it, which is a, it's a PR marketing firm, Zizzo Group. Their office is in the third ward at the moment. They bought it in June. They're going to fix it up and move in this coming June uh, to new office space there. But what's sort of probably most exciting to the neighborhood is that they have a really big first floor retail space that they're looking to rent to a restaurant, a cafe, some sort of some sort of public-facing business. So it won't just be offices. It will also be the kind of building that will open that up to the neighborhood. Yeah, and this is a really prominent location and a lot of foot traffic there in normal times at least, but mm-hmm. uh, still pretty busy even even during the pandemic here. When you got to go through the space, you interviewed Zizzo herself mm-hmm. and Zizzo. Yep. And... Uh, she said that the the reception from the community was really positive, and like Walker's Point has been, especially the association has been really welcoming to uh, this next chapter. Yeah, I think the previous use, I mean, you know, it was a high school, a charter high school, so it was a it was a good use. You know, I mean, nobody's going to complain about a school, right? Um, but it didn't. It had sort of closed off the building to the public, right? I mean, and to the street. So now, with being able to put some retail in there, means it will reopen the building to the passers-by to the neighborhood to come in and use whatever goes there, right. restaurant, yeah. cafe, mm-hmm. store. Um, so I think people are really happy that it's going to have that kind of new sort of public life again. And then Tenor High School, which is the school that was most recently in there, um, still exists and they've mm-hmm. just relocated to a different building? Yeah, they moved to the former Journal Sentinel building, oh, which we have okay. talked about in the past. Too. That's right, so yeah. They're one of the new tenants in the redevelopment of that complex. So what's the timeline like for the the work to complete and then these restaurant or retail spaces to be open? Well, Zizzo is going to, they're going to start work soon and their Zizzo is hoping to be into their office space by June. Um, and she, and, and Zizzo is currently talking to a number of interested parties. So hopefully uh, that build out would happen um, in this year as well. Well, coming up in the second part of our conversation, Bobby, we're going to wind back the clock 1866. So, you know, there's a ton of history in this building and so much of it, I mean, being right in the middle, especially of Walker's Point, reflects the the growth and the history of Milwaukee itself. So we're going to get into that next on Urban Spelunking. It's the most charitable time of year and we have a way for you to give a gift to Radio Milwaukee and yourself. Donate your unwanted car truck, motorcycle, or boat, and let us take it off your hands. Your gift will support the music and stories you enjoy every day, and it may even qualify you for a tax deduction. 
Visit RadioMilwaukee.org slash cars to schedule your free donation pickup today. We are back, Bobby, on Urban back. Spelunking. So first in Seaboth, 1866, the future home of the Zizzo Group. But how did this building get started in the first place? And what was, well, let's go back to 1866. We're going to go back even farther than 1866. All right. We're going to go back to 1855, which is when Emil Schneider, who was a German immigrant, um, started his liquor business on that site. And they were sort of a wine distributor. Um, they distributed whiskey. They were whiskey rectifiers, which what does means that mean? yeah. they, um, they did not distill whiskey there, um, but they brought in whiskeys and they mixed them. Uh, they blended them and they also often added other ingredients. Um, and the sorts of ingredients that rectifiers were using in the 19th century were often... Um, Flavor. Sure. Like flavors, colors. Okay. So that they could sell young whiskey uh, without aging it as long. Um, but they also sometimes put in things to um, sort of make it go further. So if you had a barrel of whiskey and you mixed it with a half a barrel of some other stuff, you then had a barrel and a half of whiskey, right? Um, yeah, I was going to say, this is all pre-prohibition. A, a yes. lot of this regulation wasn't it didn't was, exist. Right. So a so, lot of this... Wacky business uh, ended up getting dealt with in um, food purity laws right around the turn of the century, a lot of which started not not just because of the liquor business, uh, also food products. People were putting in all sorts of things that were poisonous to people. And, you know, so I'm guessing this is what was going on there because there was no reason to believe he was any different than other whiskey rectifiers. Did the amount coming in always match the amount going out, right? You would <laughs> right, think probably not, right. Some cases maybe f- fell off the truck, yep. as you yep. would maybe say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he started this business in 1855, very successful business, um, but he was just leasing the land at that point, bought it in 1866, um, and built the building that's there now. Um, and he occupied it until, uh, well, he and his brother-in-law, he, Schneider, um, after he died, his brother-in-law um, took it over, became the John Barth Company. Okay. That was his brother-in-law. And that was run until Prohibition. Um, and then, of course, during Prohibition, there were not liquor businesses in there anymore. There were a bunch of different sort of industrial buildings. But interestingly, on Repeal, there's more liquor businesses in there, including a place called Amber Distilleries, which was not a distillery. Okay. They also were rectifiers and distributors. Um, and the fact that distilleries was in their name... Uh, drew them some government attention. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> told them they had to stop using the word distilleries because that they weren't a distillery. Is that how they got the name Bottle then? Um, or Bottling? No, then there was another company called Badger Bottle Company that was in there for a while, um, which made all sorts of bottles, like liquor bottles and beer bottles and all sorts of things. Um, and those two businesses did have some connection. There was one common sort of um, executive that was involved in both of the businesses. Um, and I should mention that if you go around to the Seabooth side where the train tracks are, um, there's a smaller building that was added on later. That's a really, uh, pretty sort of Victorian Gothic style storefront. Um, that was a bar for a long time. Um, was a restaurant for a while, had a rooming house upstairs. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask um, like, what, what did the rest of Milwaukee look like around this time or the rest, the rest of Walker's point was, and we were talking 1866. It's pretty, pretty early yeah, in the well, history. Yeah, and I mean, being right across the river, being at the river and at the train tracks, it meant there were lots of um, lots of industry around here, but also lots of taverns. And, you know, this was a time when um, 
the Great Lakes was very active too with shipping. So you had lots of like these rooming houses would have been full of sailors. People oh, who sure. Yeah. Ships and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, lots of saloons and restaurants for these people that lived here too. And whiskey. Right. Whiskey. <laughs> I'd imagine. Right. Um, but yeah, lots of industry. So there are, you know, tanneries were not far away. There were breweries not far away. There are just all kinds of different um, industrial uses in the neighborhood. So it was definitely um, heavily industrial, but also lots of people living around here as well. So, Post-prohibition, you mentioned that the the liquor business came back, but so did other industrial uses. There was a upholstery and foam company in there. Yeah, like made foam for furniture, you okay, know, for, for cushions and things, um, and and other uses as well. Um, and that actually, that foam company actually lasted pretty much until Brass um, Light Gallery moved in in the late eighties. So let's talk about Brass Light Gallery because that's a I've I've seen their billboards and signs and stuff. I've been in Milwaukee my whole life and and we've um, talked about them before. And we've talked about them on Urban Spelunking. Mm-hmm. They've been a long time Milwaukee name, and they're just in a different spot now. They they still exist in Milwaukee. Yeah. But for those that might not know or who have never been, what is Brass Light? They are in their third. I should say they are in their third sort of historic Milwaukee home. We we talked about them last year because we talked about the Folia Salon mm-hmm. yep. on Fifth and National also in Walker's Point, which it was Brass Lake Gallery's first home. Um, and Steve Kanyuski started this business, and he was um, finding and repairing and restoring um, old brass light fixtures, mm-hmm. which is where, and then selling them, you know. Right. Um, but now, it, and, and that was a tiny building, and he expanded, he outgrew that building, and he moved into this building we're talking about today, um, where he began actually manufacturing, I'm not sure... He, he might have been manufacturing at the old place, but I'm not sure. But he definitely was by the time he was here, making um, brass light fixtures. Sometimes to like new designs, sometimes matching old designs. Um, in fact, he has done a bunch of um, light fixtures for places like um, Saint Josephat. Oh, which, cool! Wow. In the, as part of the restoration, that's like know. the gold standard of yeah, or the brass standard. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Excuse me. Um, yes. Well, no, but like as part of the restoration, they they needed to replace a bunch of fixtures that had gone missing. Had yeah, taken so out they, and had gone mm-hmm. missing. Luckily, they had a couple of examples that he could use, and so they recreated these fixtures. So he's done all kinds of work like that. I was going to say, um, like, what a cool niche thing to be in. Yeah, and, like, and all kinds of historic buildings he's done things for. Um, so then when he outgrew this building, he moved to a, uh, another, I think it's a 19, I'm not sure about this, the date exactly, but I think it's around the 1910s on St. 13th and St. Paul. It used to be a Cutler hammer okay. um, mm-hmm. factory. So he's had a, he's had a string of, um, buildings he's restored like vintage Milwaukee buildings. And this is one he said that he was actually like, as even though he's been in these multiple buildings, he really feels like this building on first street is sort of was his, uh, legacy in Milwaukee because he spent a lot of years and did a ton of work restoring this building. Um, when he bought it, the windows were closed up with glass block and all kinds of, he reopened the windows onto the street. He did all kinds of work. And what was fun was I invited him to come with me to the building when Ann Zizzo showed me around and that was an amazing experience. Yeah, you got to capture some of these, you know, the transition between owners, which is, um, you know, it's more than more than just a business deal for them. This is really, we're talking about, you know, Zizzo, the Zizzo Group is a local business. And yeah. um, so it's it's like two people that are really passionate that are sharing this chapter of this building. Uh, so I'd imagine it was, it was kind of um, 
kind of a, a cool moment to to be a part of. What I loved was that it wasn't about like often when you're on the tour, it's you know it's sort of about you. They want they want to show you the place. They want to talk to you about the place because you're there to write about it. But as soon as I like, as soon as I got there, Steve was outside and he started telling me about how he restored the like the windows to where they had just which had been closed up with brick and glass block, and how he restored the uh, cast iron pillars. Mm-hmm. You know the the posts between the windows, and then as soon as we walked in, he and Anne introduced themselves to each other, and he was off and running, like talking about where there used to be walls, where there are walls now that didn't used to be walls, where he like you know loading dock doors he replaced, the elevator that he refurbished. Like suddenly, the two of them were just off and running, talking to each other, and I was just there witnessing it which was which was great because then i could hear both of their stories as they told it to each other yeah which i really that's when the the, when the really the good stuff comes out yeah and they really hit it off and he had so much knowledge about this building because he knew every nook and cranny of this building he did so much work on it so much restoration that um there's all kinds of stuff and zizzo never would have known had he not been there to kind of explain it all to her um and it was really great you really felt like it was a sort of handing off of the you know this sort of like passing the torch to the next person, which was, which was great. And some cool features in there, like that rope, the rope elevator with the pulley. Yes. You know, having been in bands, you know, I we practiced in lots of old industrial buildings where there are yeah. various kinds of freight elevators, sketchy often. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so I, I'm pretty good at running a freight elevator, um, but I had never run one of these rope ones. So it was fun to watch him how he, you have to like pull the rope a certain way to make it go up, pull it another way to make it go down. You got, you know, it's all rope operated. So, and, and I don't think she knew how to operate it. So he showed us twice. We went up in it once and we went back down in it. Literally showing the ropes. Yes. Literally showing her the ropes. <laughs> yes. So that was pretty great. And then at the end, you know, she said, you know, when she does, if she does like a time capsule, what she's thinking about doing or doing like a beam signing to, to sort of inaugurate the building, she wants him to be there and to be part of it because it's he's such a key factor in the history of this building. Ah, it was nice. Yeah, right? it's yeah, a, yeah, it's it a cute story. Of course, you know, uh, again, another building just packed with history that yeah. means means so much to the people that conduct their business there and pour so much of their their own creativity and their own uh, you know investment in this building. Their you know, time spent is. Is, oh, yeah. is such a resource. Just and, the, I mean, to say nothing of the money he must have spent, which would have been considerable, but just the sweat equity yeah. and, the, and the just the stress and the anguish and the excitement and all the emotion that would go into doing that work over a couple of decades had to be pretty amazing. And speaking of that, I should just throw in there that uh, before he moved into the building, he spent like a year and a half or more doing work on the building so that he could move into it. And just before he was supposed to move into it, a disgruntled worker tried to burn it down. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that story is in the in the article, so people can go read that. But yeah, but this I, is the kind of invo- emotional investment he has in this kind of place. So you could just see when he walked in that, like, it was like you know, I don't know, going back to your grade school or the house you grew up in, or something. <laughs> like you could just see how much it meant to him. Well, some great pictures as always inside. You can see that rope elevator at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcast. And catch up too. We've had some fun episodes last week. We were at the Survive Alive House mm-hmm. uh, talking about that. Uh, uh, that like 90s nostalgia bomb that went off, and uh, I think so many people who saw that story, uh, I know that in the comments people were talking about it. Oh yeah. Um, so go go back. We've got so many more episodes in the urban spelunking. How many you figure we've done so far? Uh, we've done almost. We've done f- roughly 50 a year, right? For how many years? 
Uh, yeah, there's 182 Urban Spelunking episodes you can go back and listen to, all focused on different buildings throughout the city. So check us out um, all there at RadioMilwaukee.org slash podcasts. Podcasts here on 88.9, produced by Kenny Perez. Do subscribe, and please do rate and review the podcast. We would love to hear your feedback. All right, Bobby, next week. We'll see you then. All right, see you then.